Hello and welcome to the Sports Nutritionist Podcast. It's Alex Thomas here again. I am joined with the assessment team. Now we're going to be catching up every one to two months with the assessment team to provide some insight behind what they're seeing with students, how they can change potentially their current approaches to have a better trajectory in the space, right? So your approach will determine your trajectory as a professional. And so we want to give you some good professional feedback as a student based on our own experiences and how really the mistakes that we've made in the industry to help you learn from our mistakes. You don't have to make them in this space. So in this first one, we're talking about their student pathways and how that relates to the recommended student pathway that we have within the association. So for those of you not familiar, what I'm talking about is we have our certificate in applied sports nutrition. That's our, that's our provisional qualification. And then we recommend people go into either a private postgraduate diploma through one of our affiliate institutions or a relevant exercise, sports science or nutrition science degree, one of the bachelor programs at any university that you want to. So that way you're doubling down on your education. But why we don't recommend you go straight into that for those people who are new to practicing, we recommend that you have approximately about an 18 month period where you just focus on refining your skills as a service provider and as a sports nutritionist. And so here we are. And in this episode, we'll be talking about each of the assessment teams experience up to date and how that recommended pathway and experience pathway was applied to them and what their experiences were like going into the certificate and then their further study as well. I hope you like this and I hope you get some good feedback and insights from the assessment team. And I will just say that not everyone fits the mold that we recommend. And you'll see that and hear that specifically from the assessment team. So guys, bit of, bit of background. Um, I don't know, Matt, how did you explain this? Just that email. Yeah. Okay. I said, it's like, we're talking about observations that we've seen and like student pathway and that sort of thing. And just a bit of a, a casual chat around observations and that sort of thing. Yeah. A lot of this is going to be giving you the assessment team, the floor to enable you to be able to, uh, I guess, like identify trends that you see with how they're approaching it as students, um, which then lead to uh, outcomes and uh, results for them as practitioners. Right. So this is the professional timeline slash life cycle graphic we've done up to sort of really explain the pathway that we see or the professional pathway that we have for the students upon their enrollment. So, yep, they're studying the cert here. Typically speaking, a lot of them don't have and won't have a client base as a sports nutritionist. What we want from them is, you know, similar to what you, you guys, the assessors have done is we don't want you to roll straight into that post-grad diploma a university program or anything like that and just become a perpetual student. We want you to implement it in a work setting first, establish that base, work on the refinement of those systems. So client acquisition, coaching, and sort of like the ebb and flow nature of that. Hey, build up a few clients, stop doing those systems that generate clients because you start getting busy and then the clients eventually drop off and you're like, Oh shit, I got to keep those systems in and then keep going up. Um, Sort of like that non, you know, very similar to that non-linear weight loss um, experience that we see with people. And so um, what we really want from the average person is to spend a solid 12, 18 months on these processes before then going into that setting. So do you want to 
give some of your own thoughts as to, and even just reflect on your own experiences from studying the initial certificate to then what that system looks like and what, what, and what that experience was like for you. And then what you would recommend based on your own experience and hindsight, you know, what that, if it was a six month gap or a 12 month gap or an 80 month gap, what that gap was like, what you focused on, what you would potentially focus on more. And then, um, you know, where you want to be before you get into that, um, next level of study and then how to maintain that during study. Don't be shy now. <laughs> so we've got to just turn the camera on. So for me, obviously after, after the sports nutrition certificate, we, um, in applied, sorry, after the certificate in applied sports nutrition, I spent approximately sort of six to 12 months building a client base. Uh, from there, I, I deliberately went out and found a range of clients. I actually coached uh, almost for two years for free without charging somebody to build up my coaching skill um, that allowed me to actually build a wide demographic and wide base of clients. And then from there, I actually reached out to you, Alex, and you and you organized for me to be um, part of the undergrad, uh, sorry, postgrad sort of program. And then from there, um, so from there, I actually went on and sort of made a more of a niche. So after I, I dealt with, you know, general relation, trying to improve the overall wellness, improve overall health and, and sort of, um, and, and physical goals, by the way, of you know, body composition and even just, just being better with their kids, their families, and just being weekend warriors, I started to just, to sort of bring in and draw in and narrow my market to more of a sporting field. And I started to work with, uh, you know, recreational CrossFitters and I built into competitive CrossFitters. And then I worked with military trying to go for things like special forces and other sort of performance-based clientele. And then from there, I've been able to sort of structure my niche more around strength athletes. And that's been a real winner for me. Um, but strength athletes, not just in the powerlifting world or the strongman world, but inclusive of weightlifting, uh, strongman, powerlifting, and also once again, staying with that military clientele as well, who are going for things like SVET, um, two commandos, SAS, things like that. And that's where I built my structure and my program from. And it's all come from that beginning uh, with the certificate in applied nutrition. Sweet, man. And okay. So you were six to 12 months of implementation and refinement. Um, did you think that you were going to be working with CrossFitters, strength athletes, um, and people looking to get into special forces? Was that an intention for you at day dot as soon as you started practicing or that was something that through the nature of the refinement process, and just spending time in there and practicing that um, you got, I guess you got to taste and test what you liked and then what you didn't like. And then on, you know, from that experience, we're then able to sort of like, uh, you know, make your refinements from there. Yeah. So, so my, my background is, is science. So because of that, I, I dealt with, with physique competitors first. So what you know, you know, stage shows, things like that. And I knew pretty quickly that was never going to be a long-term thing for me. I always wanted to get into performance nutrition and learn more about how the body actually functions under duress. So when the, when the fall came to the road to go clinical or go to performance, I knew clinical wasn't for me. I, I, I always knew that people pushing their limits was always going to be where I wanted to end up and clinical just wasn't that pathway to do so. So the short answer is, is yes, I knew I was going to end up in the world of performance nutrition, but as for specifically CrossFitter, the short answer is no. I mean, you guys have all seen me. I'm, I'm not really a CrossFitter type, but that's just where my specialty lies. And that's just where the cookie crumbled. Um, 
So yeah, so the short answer is I knew I was going to end up in the performance world, but not necessarily with the clientele in which I love dealing with. Yeah, cool. And, you know, based on the path that you you had traveled, is there anything that you would approach differently or if you were to give a younger version of yourself any feedback or advice, what would it be? Mm. I'd probably do, I'd probably do less with physique. I I found no, I, I think I wasted too much time worrying about physique athletes and understanding that that is a, to put bluntly, it's a thankless role. And I think people who have a tangible response in their world. So for example, they lift more, they run faster, they move faster, they win competitions. There are much more um, understanding of people who, who are willing to, to follow the lead and, and follow what, what, is, what is requested of them. Whereas the physique athlete, I just think personally, it's just not the pathway I should have ended up in. And it's just, mm. you know, as we all do, we enter, fit, we enter fitness, we have this ridiculous mindset that every client wants to be on stage and it's just not the case. And yeah. I think if I understood that much earlier on, I would have been in a better place now. Yeah, that's good. I think that's really valuable feedback. I, um, you know, like we've got the prep program, the prep, prep accreditation thing that we do. So we say, Hey, you know, got to be at least in, on the pathway for that open and graduate level of accreditation. So you've got to be at least in your postgrad dip or, you know, third year in a bachelor's, whatever it is, as well as having done the cert to even start studying the application of it, which is like a, um, it's a six month theoretical program, which then takes 12 months for the practical and the practical is on themselves. Um, and so rolling that out, creating the framework and stuff, my bias after looking at the research and like, I guess the, decade now, um, exposure in the industry. Like I'm like coming up to almost 10 years since I prepped, right. (laughs) That's how long it, that's how long it's been. But, um, I would, I would say at the moment, um, a program like that's really needed because, and this sort of reinforces your, your, your own opinion, Bill, um, in that I would say nine out of 10 people hopping on stage on stages in Australia shouldn't be. And so, like you said, like they're not approaching it like what an athlete does from like from, from that side of things. Like, so, um, if we look and, 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 you know, if we look at what we say, Hey, this is, this is the best way to approach. And this is best practice for, um, a starting point. And these are the boxes that we want to tick before we get someone on stage. I would say nine out of 10 people aren't meeting that criteria. And that's, you know, predominantly have spent the last three years in a surplus. They've had effective fat loss phases where food focus hasn't been high. They have a high level of nutritional literacy. They have a high, both qualitative and quantitative, and they have a good training age. They've been, you know, resistance training for at least three to four years as well. Um, and, and they've got a good energy availability um, and body composition and EA prior to even starting a prep. They're like not a lot of people tick those boxes, um, you know, as far as that goes. So I think um, I, I completely agree with your, your perspective on it. And, you know, that's why we put the program out there so that hopefully in like three to four years time, we can say that number is like, instead of nine out of 10, we're like, Hey, five or six out of 10 shouldn't be competing. We're trending in the right way. Yeah. I think, I think going back to the energy availability and even just the, you know, the objectivity of performance nutrition, that's one of the reasons why, why I went that way is because the athletes in that world actually reap the benefits from more carbohydrates or more nutritional sort of more refined nutrition. Whereas a lot of the times people who live in perpetual prep phases almost expect to be in a deficit and they expect certain things and they expect to feel like, you know, a dog's breakfast when they go to the gym and things like that. And I think that's where 
having that response and seeing that physical output by, by the way of an athlete who performs is a much better, I don't want to call it tangible, but it's much better receptiveness, if that makes sense. And they can actually see the value in good nutrition. Whereas, you know, with the onset of things like macro counting and stuff like that, there's too much, there's too much pancakes and waffles for breakfast and not enough good nutrition when it comes to physique coaching. And I think that's a bad path to be on and there's no understanding of fundamental health first. Yeah. I'd agree. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, like that, I do it. So Mackenzie, um, your, your niche and who you work with is quite significantly different to that of Phil. So give us a rundown. You studied, you, so you, you done a lot of, um, study prior to cert hobby courses as you'd call them. Um, and then do the cert. Um, how long after the, like, you know, how long do you work and start practicing and implementing that stuff for, approximately what are you what are you refining what are you implementing in that process before you then start studying your grad dip and then sort of take us through the journey oh man um i'd say this is a really tough one for me to answer and i do apologize for the sound by the way uh, before i get into it it's a really tough one for me to answer um well i went straight into the grad dip pretty much after finishing the cert i didn't really have that period of in between but i felt like for me the cert was delayed i should have done it earlier the reason why I was delayed is because I was doing these hobby courses and I kind of realized halfway through some of the hobby courses that I should have just gone straight to the point um, and got into like a legitimately recognized like uni thing or something that not that the cert is uni obviously, but uh, it can lead down that pathway or at least get the ball rolling towards that. Um, so I felt like I was playing catch up with the SNA uh, cert doing it later than I should have. Um, and because I was sort of late with that, I then went straight into the grad dip and I was already working with clients, um, at that point while I was a PT. How, how um, long, how long were you, um, like implementing like coaching, nutrition coaching? Cause that's what like, you know, that's what people call it, right? They'll be like, Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a sports nutritionist. I'm just nutrition coaching. Right. Yeah. Um, and then for, I would say for the majority of people, they're like, like, it, like I would say 70% of the industry um, would have the hold the perception. Hey, that's fine. So whilst you went like from program to program, so you went search grad dip, you'd had how much time nutrition coaching under your belt? Yeah, probably 18 months plus. Yeah. Um, and prior to that 18 months, it was probably like I was nutrition coaching, but I was sort of just using templates that were provided by the gym I was PTing at at the time. Mm. Um, and that's sort of what, that's what sparked the interest into me. Um, but then I realized I thought I could do it better. Um, so that's when I started to sort of do my own sort of coaching in a nutrition capacity. And then all of a sudden I realized like a lot of people haven't realized that, Hey, like this is actually out of scope. Uh, actually you need to go to something legitimate. So rather than doing these hobby courses, uh, you're going to need to get into something legitimate as soon as possible. Um, and that sort of dawned on me. And then I was like in a mad rush to say, okay, we've got to get the cert done. Um, let's do this grad dip pretty much straight away from there. And then, you know, now the master's sort of thing. And finally, I feel like I'm, I've got that legitimacy behind me um, for now, at least. Um, <laughs> that, because, you know, you always want more. Like you never can tend. Um, you always want more um, to like, yeah. So there was definitely some experience there. And one thing like I've always said, um, is that like you need the formal education because that teaches you, teaches you the theory, 
And legitimate education will teach you the stuff that you need to know to not hurt someone because that's stuff you don't learn in the hobby courses because that's stuff that doesn't sell places. Um, And then you need the experience to actually learn how to like talk to people and how to work with people. Um, And then, um, and then like, I feel like PT was also like being a PT and slowly sort of moving away from personal training as I sort of ramped up with nutrition um, personal training gave me just like that ability to just talk to people, to be able to coach people um, and just understand that like you can't always have the same expectations of everyone and you can't always have the same expectations of people on the same day um, because honestly, far out, there's a guy literally going on wide out front of the van. We're going to have to talk about oh, I can't hear anything, man. There's a guy literally right in front of his decided to pull up a lawnmower and mow the lawn. <laughs> and so what, what, you know, what you're saying is your success story is that if you do the certificate and go straight into the grad dip and you've been a nutrition coach, you too can go into a master's program and then work from a van with a guy mowing a lawn in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the life that you want to live, right? Um, he's moved around, he's moved down. So we're all good. Yeah, so like I've always said that like you need that experience to actually learn how to like the experience in the trenches working with people. And that's yeah. why the FNA cert is really, really good. And I feel like that's one advantage it has above um, like other legitimate like um, nutrition education things is because it allows you to start like within limited scope, but it does allow you to start actually sort of coaching people within a, a small capacity, but a capacity. And that's going to give you that vital skill that's going to sort of work synergistically with further education to make you good as a, as a practitioner. Now I feel like a lot of people do like the whole hog. This guy's coming back now. <laughs> Mate, we can't hear it. Honestly, you have nothing to worry about. Oh man, you can so hear it. We can't hear it on it. Guys, can you just confirm if you can hear it? I can't hear it on my no, end. Can't hear it at all. Um, <laughs> The MacBook Pros, the new MacBook Pros, one of the ones that you've got, it's got phenomenal um, microphones, man. Yeah, so it, it has you know, like the microphone faces this way or something. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, he's gone way down now, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, like they work synergistically, the real-world experience working with people, and then the theory behind that that you can apply in a real-world context. Because like you can go whole hog with the education, do like several years at uni, but if you've never worked with someone, you yeah. don't know about things like how to actually talk to people, how to communicate messages with people. You're using all these big words that no one understands. You're just confusing people. You're not actually helping people. And then you're applying all these like really intricate systems and getting them to track every single possible metric under the sun when you know they've got four kids and a stressful job that they hate. And you know all they want to do is lose a couple of kilos and their current breakfast is, you know, a dare ice coffee and a meat pie from 7-Eleven. It's like, let's not miss the forest from the trees here. And you don't learn to think in that way, like think real world, unless you have had that experience, like actually working with folks yeah, who are like real people who have real lives and who don't, their life doesn't just revolve around nutrition and fitness. Like they have other stuff. I was about to say other shit going on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mate. They have other stuff going on that makes it not feasible for them to do the normal stuff or the normal things that you would expect of like a dedicated fitness professional or dedicated nutrition, like, like just proper. 
No, I agree. Um, and sort of touching on that as well. One thing that I want to highlight about your journey, Mackenzie. So like a um, couple of sort of like cliff notes from it. Uh, you had a solid 18 months to two years of nutrition coaching before you went into grad dip. You had a client base established, all that stuff. Um, and one thing that I want to touch on that was very interesting for you was that whilst you were in grad dip, you felt good. Um, you were like, I'm on the path. This is really challenging. It's a hard program, learning a lot. Like the, the in-depth sciences that you're exposed to were just at a much higher level than anything you'd been exposed to before. Um, however, upon completing that grad dip, this was probably like 12 months ago, 18 months ago, then the imposter syndrome hit back in so hard. And I remember having conversations with you about it and, um, you were like, Oh, maybe I should have gone and done that dietetics degree and all this stuff. Well, like now you're in your masters, um, and it'll have worked out cheaper than if you'd gone the undergrad pathway, um, to then, you know, accredited practicing dietitian. And like you said, probably a few months ago, um, like the masters of sport and exercise nutrition is has like been actually perfect for what you wanted to do. Whereas when you look at, especially like the last two years of the curriculum for um, programs like dietetics or even like a master's in dietetics, it's very clinically focused now about treating and preventing, uh, treating and preventing disease, um, you know, chronic disease and, and, and disease, right. There's uh, in most programs now there's two to three oncology subjects um, in, in dietetic programs. So um, it's sort of like, it, it, it's interesting how it's worked out, but like, I guess from someone who's observed your journey from the outside, it's like, it's very interesting that at points where I would consider it probably not valid to be experiencing imposter syndrome, um, or where people would be like, Oh, you know, if you, if you were like in your graduate diploma and you're about to finish it, that's awesome. Um, here's Mac being like, I haven't done enough. I should have just gone to uni. You know what, like what happens if this master's isn't for me? Yeah, man. Like if I could wind back the clock three years, like, and I was in a fresh slate and I knew I wanted to go all in with nutrition. Should I have done dietetics? I don't know. I think unless I'm a dietitian, there's always going to be that imposter syndrome. Even if I have a freaking PhD, in like sports nutrition related topic, there's always going to be that imposter syndrome. And I've learned to accept that. Now for me, I feel like the doing the SNA to grad dip to master's thing has allowed me to work with people concurrently, which has given me that real world experience, which has in turn made me a much better practitioner. It's also um, allowed me to focus on areas of nutrition that I actually am interested in. Like I have no interest in clinical nutrition. Um, and it's allowed me to also build up a client base. So like the day when I, I finish my master's soon or whatever, um, I already have like, like the business going. It's not like if I was to do dietetics, I feel like I would get to the end of dietetics and I would literally not know how to get clients. I would have no sort of space to create that yeah. or no into creating that. And like, yeah, you know, you're sort of set up to work in a job, either private practice or, you know, for, but that's not me. Like, like in a I'm, hospital, the one hospital yeah. job in Southeast Queensland every six months that you're competing yeah, with 2000 people with. So in hindsight, um, I think doing the SNA has made me, the SNA pathway has made me better at the type of nutrition, um, like the type of nutrition coaching that I want to personally provide, like my areas of nutrition that I'm interested in, which is like general health, 
and weight management, but also like I do enjoy working with like athletes and athletically minded folks. Um, but yeah. And the other thing is like, you know, the time taken between both options are roughly the same for me. The SNA is a bit cheaper. Um, but that's not really the point. Like that stuff is like so far down the list of importance. Like the reason why I like the SNA pathways, because it's relevant to me and what I want to do. Um, it's allowed me to work with people, gain experience as a practitioner, and that has made me much better as a practitioner for the, for what I want to do, I feel. But also now that I'm actually like sort of properly, you know, into the meat and nuts area of the masters and I've, I've got a, finally got a really, really good layout of like what this whole masters is about. Man, I am so glad that I did this Masters in Sports Nutrition because it is so much more interesting to me than and relevant to me than I originally thought. Yeah. And the thing that I love about it is that it's it's not really coursework. It's like research. And mm. you, know, you learn how to read research. You learn how to find research. You learn how to interpret it. And you see all these people who like know how to, they just understand research. And you're like, oh, that, that's so amazing that they can just be so evidence-based and like, I'm learning all this stuff and understanding it. And I feel like I'm becoming what I used to view as like an untouchable thing. And I'm mm. like getting there. And it's like, it's quite interesting and amazing because it, it is really, that's what evidence-based, like obviously evidence-based practice takes into account like anecdotal things and stuff too. Like you don't ignore them, but like true evidence-based where you can properly find evidence like view it objectively or as objectively as you can. And yeah. And critically appraise it. Exactly. Critically appraise it. Like that is more evidence-based than writing Instagram posts and referencing two papers at the end. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just really like, no, nah, I, I get it, man. And I just want to say that's a very different um, position to have than like 12 months ago being like you, where like you would agree now you're like, Hey, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I'll probably always want, I'll probably always experience a bit of that. But a year ago you were like, Oh my God, I've wasted time. I should have just done dietetics. Whereas now it's like, you're not regretting anything. You're really happy with where you're at. Um, no, and, like, and, you know, just acknowledging that, Hey, there's an element of a perfectionist and imposter syndrome that you'll always, you know, be dealing with. And that's a good level of acceptance to have. So I think that's a good reflection for any, uh, you know, potential student graduate, um, you know, professional member down the track to sort of get exposure to, um, in terms of you've been talking about your masters, right? Yeah. Who's your niche? Who's okay. Who's the majority of your clientele. And then, then like, uh, like, you know, like, cause I know who the majority of your clientele are, but mate, tell us. So I have like some athletes and athletically minded folks. I have some pretty high level, um, like AFL players, the high level soccer players. Got you got some vegan athletes or vegetarian yeah, athletes as well? I got a vegan powerlifter and a few other vegetarian, vegan people. But I would say that probably 60 to 70% of my clientele is just like people who have normal lives who just, they may track, but really with them, it's like the whole thing is fitting the principles that relate to their goal within their life and within what's feasible and appropriate for them. And yeah. a fair few of them, like airplane going over, flight path. Right, um, we can't hear it. <laughs> a fair few of them, a fair few of them are like, like they're just not in positions where it's feasible for them to track. And that's forced me to like come up with other approaches, other means of sort of eliciting the response that, you know, you sort of want. 
that aligns with their goals. Um, because like pretty much the, the go-to strategy with nutrition or, you know, nutrition coaching in funny years is like, yeah, yeah, we're going to calculate your macros. You're going to, here's my fitness pal. Like there's the link to download it. Like off you go. Um, and I think when you work with like, like when you become a practitioner and actually work with real people, you realize that this, these are great strategies. I'm not saying they're not, but for a lot of folks out there, they're not feasible, nor are they appropriate. If they are feasible, it's for a short period of time. So if that's your only tool in your toolbox, you are seriously like you're undergunned. So, um, yeah, you need, you need sort of like all the tools in the toolbox. You need a, you need a, you need a tool shed. That's what that's you it. need. That's it. So 60 to 70% of your clients are gen pop weight management Yeah, that you're not, uh, forcing to track. Some of them are tracking, but a lot of them are just like, you know, other means of improving their nutrition or, or even just like focusing on things that are not related to weight management in order to see like a byproduct of weight management. Just mm. There's an argument that in some circumstances, like focusing on things that don't have to do with appearance or extrinsic things, like focusing more intrinsically um, is, you know, a better thing for long-term consistency, uh, overall psychological well-being, um, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, Julia. Give us a rundown of your journey and experiences and then reflections. I was a little bit similar to Mac um, in a lot of ways. Um, I've, I guess before I did the, the cert, I was a nutrition coaching, if you like, for probably around five years. So I'd done some uh, more holistic health, holistic nutrition sort of courses, obviously a long time ago now. Um, and because I own a gym, I've, you know, have a lot of people come to me asking for, you know, advice to do with their training, general nutrition, that sort of thing. So it just kind of developed from there. Um, and it became over the years that I was really just looking at, um, uh, sort of giving advice on general, general health, um, eating for general health, um, you know, like things like how to, you know, improve someone's skin condition or reduce their bloating, that sort of stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, then more and more people were asking about, um, you know, weight loss. So uh, I didn't, over those five years, I never got anyone to track at all. It was more just looking at the types of food that they're eating um, and just making better choices just very sort of generally. Um and then obviously like so my my gym's a crossfit gym so i've had people then more talking around performance as well sort of what what can i eat, you know sort of have pre and post training that sort of stuff um so uh, it sort of developed from there and i so I, I had i guess i've been doing it for about 5 years and then i kind of thought well i think you know my information's probably quite outdated now and i need to do something that you know i spent those 5 years um, really in the trenches, coaching people, um, like Mac was saying, like, you know, learning that, well, if someone, you know, has got a really highly stressed job, um, is this really a good idea to implement with them on, you know, with their nutrition, like realistically not. And actually having having those conversations with people, like perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, sort of address this, this and this in your life first before we do this, which would help you achieve your goals better, but you kind of need to go through this process. So really actually trying to coach 
people in the real world. Um, and then, um, so yeah, the thing that I sort of, I sort of researched different things, uh, different courses to do to kind of bring my education more up to date. And um, the certificate was uh, the the one that I went for just because it seemed to align with what I really believe that you need to have a lot of real world experience in. So like you can, you know, you can have your degree, but if you have no experience, it's, it, you know, it doesn't, you need to have that experience in the trenches and, and how to actually coach and work with people. So that's what I liked about the um, SNA certificate. Um, and I pretty much went straight from the certificate onto the, um, the diploma. So, mm. um, so I, from, I think because I'd, I'd had that many years dealing with sort of like gen pop people, um, I really then looking forward, I wanted to deal with more, um, give specific advice around, um, performance and working more with, with athletes. And I felt that that was something that I really wasn't qualified to do. Um, so that's where I then went on to the, onto the diploma, which I absolutely loved as well. But the, the, the main reason that like I looked into, you know, oh, perhaps I should, you know, look into becoming a, a dietitian. That's the way to go because that seems like the gold standard and everything. But, you know, running a gym, having, having my own personal clients, wanting to actually be dealing with people and working in the trenches, there's no way I was going to just stop and become a full-time student and, you know, I've got to live, I've got family and that sort of thing. So this was really a, um, the perfect option for me to juggle kind of everything and do everything, um, you know, support my family and do everything that I wanted to do uh, work-wise and profession-wise um, for my future as well. So, um in terms of then going on to uh, where I went from there, I had in my head I kind of thought, oh, I'd love to deal with more um, physique competitors because that's what I've personally done. Same with powerlifting. Like, yeah, that would be great because I can apply my personal experiences to mm. that. I'll be completely honest. I haven't, I haven't coached any powerlifters or physique competitors. Um, and it's just been with the different types of athletes that I've worked with that I've just sort of gone with the flow. So I, I coach a lot of national and Olympic level swimmers. Yeah. I was going to say, you've had some international representatives and national champions and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you can have these ideas of, yes, you know, this is a really cool thing to, to coach or these are the type of athletes that I want to coach, but the reality may be quite different. Mm. And, you know, I guess my advice would be just keep an open mind to whatever comes your way. Yeah. Because the, so I now work with like a, the national swim team, um, well, like national swimmers that are, there's a whole bunch of them that are, go, that are going to nationals in a couple of weeks time and then on to Olympic trials as well. Um, and I really focus on now, edu and I, I think that the the, um, the grad dip has given me the confidence to to help educate um, uh, athletes because I I you know I may be doing myself out of a job, but I I don't want people to have to have a nutrition coach all the time. I, my my job is better done if I if I educate people. So that they learn and they're able to do this themselves. So yeah, my I've been doing sort of like nutrition workshops, like with the with the um, 
with the swimmers going, okay, so you've got a full week of like heats and finals. Okay, what are you going to have, you know, like dinner, breakfast, uh, in between races when you've got like a, you know, a longer or shorter period of time, sort of, you know, what, what are you going to do to refuel during those during that time so getting them to think about that and and write their own sort of like race plan as well mm. so um i've also got um another area i work with i work with a lot of surf lifesavers as well so yeah cool so um again that's all endurance based and what they do is just blows my mind um but again i couldn't have given any advice on that sort of thing if i hadn't have done um the SNA cert and then gone on to do the, the grad dip. Yeah. But I mean, having said all of that, I, you know, I love working with all the athletes, but always, I think my bread and butter is always going to be the, the general health and the weight loss because that's generally, I guess, what's, you know, most, yeah. you know, your gen pop everyday person, um, most of them, you know, want to lose a few kilos or whatever, or they, they want to eat to become, sort of healthier versions of themselves. And I think that's always going to be my, my bread and butter. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the key thing for me for, with these courses has been um, the real-world application of it, which, um, yeah, I think, yeah, is more valuable than, than, than a lot of education, to be honest. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting. There's a couple of key points that um, came up with yours that you were just talking about then, Julia. And then I think, um, you know, synonymously with everyone so far. And that was one of the ones that I really liked was just keeping an open mind. And I think so many people, if we think about the students that come through the program at the moment, and this was my expectation when I was like the primary assessor, like, and I, I'm just, I'm just assuming and you should never assume. Right. Um, but I'm assuming that the trend is, continued or at least maintained. And that's like, they, these people come through and they have expectations of like their niche straight away and like who they're going to be coaching, what, what type of coach they're going to be. They start positioning themselves on Instagram immediately. And I like the, the reason why we say, or like we've got, even got it in the graphic that 12 to 18 months, you know, 24 month period, um, to just get in the trenches and start working. Yeah. It's within the limited scope and stuff, but just start working is so that way they are keeping an open mind and they're experiencing the losses, like the necessary losses they need to experience. Like, Hey, clients aren't sticking in your plan. They don't like you. They're giving feedback saying you suck, like take it on board. Don't take it personally or take it personally and just get way better and use it as motivation. But like experience those losses, right? People drop off for whatever reason and they're not being upfront with you you know, there's a reason that that's happening and it, and it, and it comes back to you. Um, you know, yeah, you work on your business systems and client acquisition stuff for a bit. You get a few clients, you get busy, then you stop doing it. And then the clients drop off. Um, you know, all those trends that you've got to work out the kinks for as a practitioner. Um, and then whilst doing so, you're going to experience working with different client demographics. And so if you keep an open mind and you're patient and you're embracing like failing or falling forwards and failing forwards and like you accept that you're going to be taking some losses and taking some L's, then you're going to come through the end of that 12 to 18 month period. And you're going to know a lot more about who you want to be working with, why you want to be working with them, how to work with them and you know, how to be doing so really effectively. And like the other thing to say is that like not to be sort of like chasing the money all the time either. Yeah. Because 
uh, you know, like I mentioned before, if if someone's not at not in, it's not the right time for them to be implementing like a really um, you know strict weight loss strategy or something. It, they would value uh, you better as a coach if you have that upfront conversation with them and say, "Hey, look, I think you need to address X, Y, Z, like lower your stress levels, get more sleep, blah blah blah, in your life first. So then maybe come back to me in four weeks' time." Let me know how you've gone on X, Y, Z, and then we can look at doing this. They're going to value you you and your advice more than just going, hey, yeah, let's just get to your goals right right now. You're got, you know, you're you're fighting an uphill battle and you're you're gonna mm. compromise getting your results anyway. Um, so I think they'll they, you know, they'll they'll value you more as a as a coach by by doing that. And mm. and you know, don't always look to if you've got people asking for your help. And then, you know, you don't always need to be, um, you know, sort of what goes around comes around to a certain extent as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. So I like, again, that's why we have that, um, you know, you and Mackenzie went straight into it, but you had those years in the trenches beforehand. And then that enabled you to have some clients then again, refine and implement and do that. Um, you know, and implement those, what, what you'd been learning with them and then have the client base again, to start implementing what you're learning at that graduate diploma level as well. Um, the other th- synonymous thing between everyone, um, which I want to cover because I find it so interesting is, um, uh, you know, like to, like for two of you, you were like, yeah, I was doing this beforehand. Like there was hobby courses, whatever it was. Um, and Mackenzie said this to me, like, up front, um, he thought, he thought like I was like, I used to work for the government. And like, I was this like nutrition policeman. (laughs) And so we were like the people like dobbing in the bad guys, like, Hey, here's a, there's a burglary happening right now. Like you got to sort this out. Um, and so, you know, what were your perceptions or expectations of us, especially in terms of like accreditation, regulation, best practice and whatnot versus like the reality, because, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll say with what my, my, um, you know, I guess my definition or like my description of what we are is at the end, but yeah, I'd like to know what your expectations and like expectations versus reality was in your own words. Um, I, well, I didn't think, um, I thought the course would be, oh no, I thought it'd be quite real world. That's why, like I said, I investigated it and, and, and that's why I sort of did it in the first place. Um, but it's, uh, it's really focused on um, like with the CPD that you have to do as well, like really ensuring that everyone continues their education, um, mm. but in a supportive way. So it's not, it's like you say, it's not kind of like the police and I'm dobbing you in. It's it's like this is for the, the, the best for everyone that's working in the industry. So it's done in a very supportive way. So, yeah, I guess that's my take. Okay, thanks, Mackenzie. Re- let's re- let's revisit yours. Uh, so I'll I'll um, echo that and say the expectation was more like police, Alex. Like I'm going to put you in jail, um, but it was more like focused around. Okay, like you guys probably just didn't know, and now like here's the light, and we're showing you like the light. Um, we're showing you the pathway, and we're doing this in like a supportive way. We're not like telling you a bad person because you were like a quote unquote nutrition coach. Um, Like SNA, I I feel like 
people might see it as like this thing of like policing you, like where we're going to dob you in, you know, but really it's not like that. It's, it's like trying to, yeah, show people the light and do it in a supportive, like friendly and constructive way to improve the overall standard of the industry. Because unless you've had formal education and experience working in the trenches, you don't know how, I'm going to say it, how wrong some of the stuff that nutrition coaches, nutrition coaches do that is how wrong it is like how how honestly how bad it is um because you know you don't realize like how careful you need to be with nutrition nutrition is no joke and even saying something that on the surface seems very like you know safe and fine and you know flowery and beautiful and everything like how someone interprets it and how that affects their life may actually be like quite a deep running thing like you know you might say to someone okay we're going to track for eight weeks they track for eight weeks, they get great results. And then all of a sudden they like feel married to my fitness pal and they're like obsessed with it. And whenever they like are in a situation where they can't track their food accurately, they have like a panic, they freak out, they deviate from their expectations a little bit, or they can't track something as accurately as they like. Then before you know it, they're like, Oh, I stuffed up. What the hell? Um, and then it's just like, a, it just turns into a binge fest, an uncontrolled, like guilt driven binge fest. So these like you don't realize that some of the the things that on the surface you think are okay and fine um it's often you got to think deeper you've got to think more big picture you got to think about what the what is and then come to like the appropriate course of action and even in the way like you word things the way you communicate things um how you like your mannerisms your tone um your word selection your language uh, when you talk to a client, like on a Zoom call or something, that stuff is so important because you can say the same thing, but the way you deliver it can make someone either feel like victimized, like they're a bad person, or it can make them feel supported. Like it's okay to be learning. It's okay to be, you know, not perfect um, rather than making them feel bad for sort of like their quote unquote stuff ups. Um, so I feel like like unless you've done the formal education and had the experience to go with it, like both of them, then you can be naive and your ability to think deeply might be actually potentially damaging people. Um, and this is something you won't realize at first. And that's the old Dunning-Kruger um, sort mm. of sort of in the mix there. Yeah. Yeah. Phil, what was your experience, man? Did you so expectations was- versus reality? So a bit like I was, I was doing a lot of, to use the phrase hobby courses since 2012, I was doing, I was trying to do one every six months, at least for the preceding years of, of SNA. And I actually came across Sports Street Australia in a different way. So I'd already sat the ISSN SNS exam years before, and I was an affiliate member of theirs and things like that. And it wasn't until, um, if you remember, Alex, they used to do um, a bit of CPD themselves. It was a, a little quiz every every six months or so. Yeah, and I was doing that. I missed 18 months and I thought, oh, you know, oh no, I better go back and actually do this. And then from there, I actually came across SNA via an online search. And obviously it was called MHS at the time. It was sort of yeah. an old school sort of conversation. And, and I thought a bit like the affiliate membership of ISSN, that it was actually just the governing body I could become a part of. And that's how I came across the, the, S, the old SNA. And then from there, I realized, oh, it's a course. And I read the website and thought, you know what, this is actually something that could get me the next step and and like the bit's been sort of echoed by the other two 
a lot of, a lot of the hobby courses tend to be so hyper specific, specific on just the, on the nuances, but nothing fundamental. And that's where I thought the real strength in, in SNA was. It's like people want to talk about hormones and all this crazy fluffy stuff, but no one can tell you how <laughs> I food remember chatting about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, how does food become fuel? All, all these courses that these other, these other sort of, um, training academies do, they talk about hormones, endocrine, da, 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 da. Yet no one in the room, probably including the teacher can tell me how a sugar carbohydrate gets broken down and enters the cell. So if you can't tell me that, why are you talking about this other stuff? So, you know, things like that. And obviously I'm, I'm a bit of a knowledge fiend. So I'd sort of already researched that, but you know, this is a way to get what I've done myself and put it on paper. And I thought this is a good doorway. And that's how I became across SNA in the first place. But it was from simple conversations that like, didn't make any sense to me. People were sort of talking about this stuff up here and no one had the, the, the foundations to talk about how to actually build the house in the first place. Yeah. You didn't think we were like hectic police or anything like that, hey? No, quite the opposite. Yeah. I, I actually thought it was a doorway to become official. That's what I thought. I thought yeah. it was a way to sort of concrete my knowledge and then take my, you know, the ISSN cert forward. Because, yeah. you know, as, as I'm sure you're aware, the ISSN cert in Australia really means nothing in, in, a, in a real sense. So it was sort of that, it was a way of saying, listen, how can I take the knowledge I've spent, you know, best part of 10 years doing in my own right and concrete it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is good. And Brody, um, I'll get him to like, Brody, as you're watching this, we'll have this as a separate part of it just because the ISSN stuff's way too hot at the moment. But yeah. I think it's worth acknowledging and we'll just have this get released as a separate thing. So he can just edit it out and we'll have it at a separate time in a few months time. But that's the whole thing is like the ISSN is they've got this cert and it says, Hey, you're certified, which is a pass fail exam, which is for, as far as like compliance and best practices is concerned for a professional insurance policy. It's like, it, like it's meaningless. No insurer is going to, going to write a policy for that. There's nothing, there's no quality control measures for an online pass fail multiple choice exam, because it means that anyone, any idiot on their best day, if they know nothing about the subject matter could actually just fluke it just, just, just on the laws of probability. And so insurers aren't going to do that. Hence why we have 30 plus quizzes and, you know, six case studies plus practical application stuff as well, because compliance keeps coming back saying, Hey, we need a little bit more. We need a little bit more, or we'll go back and say, even if they don't want more initially it started by them saying they wanted more. And then the rest has been from internal reviews annually saying, actually we're weak in this area or our, our practitioners are weak in this area at a minimum standard. We need the minimum standard going from here to here. And so we'll, we'll improve that ourselves. Um, uh, so I think, you know, as far as the ISSN is concerned, people like it, a culture has been allowed to flourish where they, for lack of a better term, appear to be a professional body and they're not. And the reality is, is that they're just an online journal. So that certification say, Hey, we recognize that you understand the subject matter um, published in uh, about sports nutrition, especially as it relates to our journal. But that, that's, that's what it's there for. It's to say, and then those exams are really good tools for what they are, which they use as um, prerequisite entry condition exams to cull people at undergrad and postgrad levels. So it's to say, Hey, X amount of people who have applied for PhD positions or master's positions at the university of South Florida, um, university of Florida, Baylor university, the types of universities that are affiliated with the ISSN and the fellowship members. And so say they get 200 applicants for a program that's only got 40 positions. They, they get them to sit those exams and there's just a way that they can thin the herd. 
So like they're phenomenal. And as, as far as a nonprofit journalist concerned, that's open access. It's amazing. Like we haven't had a central place for sports nutrition research to be published you know, really until that happened, like, yeah, we'd have like the journey journal of like nutrition or journal of, um, British journal of sports medicine and stuff, but that's so encompassing of all these other modalities, um, you know, and, and all this other subject matter that isn't necessarily just sports nutrition. So that's been phenomenal, but I think people perceive it to be so much more than what it actually is. And it's just that it's, they're not going to sit there and police practice. They don't have a code of conduct for you for professionals in terms of how they are to practice. And they don't have a professional insurance policy for professional members that allows them to practice that way. And so over the years within Australia, we, you know, we've copped a lot of when it was just Australia, we copped a lot of flack as a result of that because we would have members because we recommend we're like, do the exams. It's, it's like, it's what they're worthwhile doing. Like you, you've been exposed to the subject matter. Um, you know, like it's worthwhile pursuing it. Th- these are a decent thing to go after, but as far as a professional insurance policy is concerned, as far as professional registration is concerned, they're, they're not required. And we were getting a lot of crossover flack as a result of that from people being like, I'm an ISSN sports nutritionist. I'm registered to practice in Australia. And it just wasn't happening. So like you were saying, it was to sort of, you went out to solidify it, but sort of circling back to it, um, that I guess the expectations versus um, reality, especially for what Mackenzie experienced. I just wanted to highlight like, like we're not the police, <laughs> none of that. We want like, we, we like our doors are always open for people looking to improve and do more. So if people are sitting there going like, Oh fuck, I've been doing the wrong thing. Um, you know, Oh, maybe these guys will get up me and stuff. Like we're not going to, we want to encourage you sort of stepping into standardized best practice. So that way we can improve the industry on the whole. We can't do that. If we have like a shop door policy, if you know, if you've come through and then you've learned how to practice better and then you don't do better, in repeated times, then we'll deal with that internally. But we're not sitting there being like, Oh, so-and-so from the outside is doing all these bad things. We'll never let them do stuff with us. Um, you know, and we're going to dob them in and get them in trouble. It's just not going to happen. Um, only in really, really extreme cases where people are being misrepresenting being members of ours, as well as, um, members of other professional bodies where, they're like, I like, you know, there's an, ob- I have an obligation and a professional obligation that I have to do it where we'll have to like publicly list them in some capacity. But even then, if, if, if I have to, I'll still say, I, I will, I'm going to encourage them to study and actually do the right thing and learn more, be registered, follow best practice, um, you know, and do that stuff. So that way they're looked after and their clients are looked after. I think also it's really important to point out is that nutrition is such a hot topic now that so many people are out there doing their own research and buying books like fat loss forever and all these crazy sort of mm. books that are out there now that they have the knowledge, they have a baseline knowledge, but now it's going to take it to the next step to get that piece of paper and say, listen, I can now work with you guys officially and SNA has provided the platform for that to occur. And then obviously with the, with the onboarding and the sort of the progression education into the IPN and things like that, that conversation is a real way to take people who, you know, have read these books and read and, and sort of learned this knowledge in their own back, how to take it forward. Um, but it goes back to another thing that there's, you know, with nutrition being such a hot topic and all these books coming out, it's also important to point out that that doesn't stop the hobby courses. That doesn't stop the crazy fluffiness. You know, people are picking yeah. fittings for their houses before the concrete's laid. You need to make sure all of those things are in place before we take that conversation further. It also gives you that scope of practice too. It, so it, it teaches you 
where your wall is, where you can stop and where you have to refer out. And that's one of the biggest strengths about being a sports nutritionist is saying, listen, I can work here, but once I pass this line, I need to have a good network of people that I can refer out to. Just like a PT with, with clinical practice, you know, with, with physios and chiros and osteopaths and all these things, you need to make sure that in nutrition, that same conversation is had. Where can I work to and where do I need to refer out to? Yep, exactly. Um, a couple of areas that I want to sort of discuss um, to sort of lay the foundation for the next time we catch up in two months time. This will be a regular thing, right? So this is the introduction to it. Um, the model that we've got is it effectively encapsulates the theme of it, which is approach to trajectory. We've got a cool little sort of um, graphic that Brady will have. And it's sort of inspired by the James Clear metaphor in the book Atomic Habits, where he talks about, hey, if your starting destination is from the same point, you're two degrees off, then over however many hundred miles or whatever it is, it's the difference between being in, I think it's like Florida and New York or Jersey or something like that. Um, and so this is where we, like the, like, you know, the team, the assessment team, uh, talk about how we're seeing people approach it and the trends and approach, and then what that trajectory tends to lead to. And a couple areas that I want to sort of get into next, next time we all catch up is, uh, how they, how they deal with adversity and, and feedback and criticism, because as we know, in that 12 to 18 month period that we're recommending that they just get into the trenches, they're going to be we, like, the expectation is that you're dealing with adversity. This isn't, you know, unlike fitness courses for personal trainers and stuff. And I, I look at some point in the future, I'd like to just pull apart the differences in business models as well and talk about that. Everyone, everyone here is a practitioner. And my bias is the sports nutritionist business model is far better than that of a face-to-face appointment-based personal trainer. But they said this, like, you know, they're still selling you the pipe dream. And then these business coaches out there selling the pipe dream. And I want it to be known that from me and from every central person within our organization, that that message is not the case. Like we are synonymously and universally recommending spending 12 months taking some losses and getting your hands dirty and being in the trenches. Right. So I think dealing with adversity is like, that's something that I'd like to talk about how they deal with adversity, how you can see based on how you're giving feedback to them as to, you know, like what you, where you would expect them to be and what you would expect their, what the, what you would expect the adversity to be that these trends are that you're observing for the students. And then, um, one, one of the specific areas of adversity being the bioenergetics practical that we have for them, right? Like how they approach that. Um, because we get a lot of people who may have focused in that clinical side of things first and they are like, this is dangerous. This is that, um, you know, like this is like the bioenergetics practice is a watered down version of applied ex- like applied exercise physiology. Um, and like half of that, semester that people are studying where they're doing actual max testing, wind gates, and all, all, all like aerobic threshold training. And they're doing like ECG, um, ECG, like, uh, heart, heart, heart assessments whilst they're doing the max testing as well. So, um, I, I want to circle back to those two things in the next time we catch up. Um, and then any other like relevant examples of sort of dealing with loss or dealing coming up against adversity and dealing with criticism, because, uh, I think that's like, if we can, if we can start giving some feedback, um, and putting some of this information out there, anecdotal feedback and recommendations, it's going to help students 
practitioners in the future come to. I think that's pretty much it. Matt, do you want to add anything on that? I think we just lost you there at that last little bit. Can you just repeat that? I was just saying, um, they're the two sort of examples that of like sort of dealing with adversity, dealing with criticism that I'd like to talk about the next time that we catch up. So how people approach the bioenergetics um, and the fact that it is a really watered down version of what half a university semester focuses in, in exercise physiology. And really like you can't, and the fact that you just can't practice in sports nutrition, you can't be a sports nutritionist if you don't understand the bioenergetic demands of yourself personally, and you can't effectively and safely coach someone through that because there is a bit of initial resistance that we get from people when approaching that. So I think that's a really good, um, a, a, like a good, a, a good topic. Um, and topically relevant thing for like dealing with adversity, but also just how they approach adversity and constructive criticism. And if there's any other areas, um, that's something that I'd like to sort of get into. And I think the, even like the ability to think outside the box with what that safety is and being able to complete that, because even though we say we don't want you to do things that aren't going to be um, safe for you, people still go and submit something with a partial squat saying, Oh, I've got to work around my knee. And it's like, well, don't bloody squat. Like there are way other ways that you can do this and hit the required metrics that we want of you without doing a lower body exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Having that solution focused mindset and approach from the get go will go a long way. So what we'll do is we'll bring up that stuff and then we'll, um, so we'll, we'll bring up, I guess the topical sort of point of conflict and then we'll propose the solutions and the methods and principles. Um, and then we'll, we'll propose the principle that they should like reframe with. And then, um, you know, some methods of doing so, but it's not just limited to those methods. Awesome. Thanks everyone for your time. Appreciate it.